Welcome to Invited In. I'm Christy Graham, and the goal of this podcast is to connect the global family of Samaritan's Purse. You may remember a few weeks ago when we heard from Dr. Lance Plyler, the current director of World Medical Mission. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Dr. Dick Furman, the co-founder of World Medical Mission. For more than 40 years, he has served remote mission hospitals by placing medical providers in short-term assignments to fill specialty gaps and allow missionary doctors to rest, training doctors for the mission field through a post-residency program, and providing critical equipment, medical supplies, and support to these hospitals. There is no way to know the number of lives saved both physically and spiritually through his commitment to the Lord. Dr. Furman, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, it's nice to be here, Christy. Well, thank you. I don't even know where to start with you, but I I think if you don't mind, I'd like to know you and your brother Lowell. Mm -hmm. um, In 1977, you co-founded World Medical Mission. Could you tell us how this dream began? Okay. Well, I always point out it was uh, Lowell and myself in Franklin, Mm. in reverse order. (laughs) They really got it going. But uh, Lowell and I attended a Billy Graham crusade in Asheville. North Carolina, and they found that we were surgeons, and they asked if we would take uh, four to six weeks and go to India each uh, to help in a mission hospital there. So we did, and uh, that was such a different way of operating, different surgery, Mm -hmm. different uh, settings, uh, different operating rooms than we had here in Boone, North Carolina. And anyway, we came back and tried to uh, convince Franklin that there was an or- we needed to set up an organization, or he needed to set up an organization, uh, where we sent doctors uh, to the mission hospitals for four to six weeks at a time. He was a senior at Appalachian State at the time and uh, getting a business degree. And so he worked with us uh, on that, and it just sort of went from there. Which leads me to, how did you meet Franklin? When did you meet him? Uh, he was, he came here as, as a senior uh, at uh, Appalachian State, and uh, Ed Williams introduced us mm-hmm. uh, because he knew we both liked motorcycles. Mm-hmm. So we started riding uh, off-road bikes uh, together. That's a whole different story of how he almost got me injured badly, but... Anyway, we, we became friends and uh, uh, got really started, I guess it really started on my way back from India when uh, when I went from the invitation from the Billy Graham Crusade people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and Bob Pierce, who had founded Samaritan's Purse, uh, were in New Guinea. Mm-hmm. And I'd never traveled around the world, but I thought, well, I'll be in India. Why not just go buy New Guinea on the way home. And anyway, that's what what we did. And uh, we met up together, and I was excited at that, at that time after just being at a mission hospital in India telling uh, Franklin and Bob Pierce uh, about the excitement of the need of doctors at mission hospitals. Mm-hmm. And uh, Franklin wasn't that excited about it. He said... Uh, I don't think there's that kind of need for mm-hmm. four to six weeks. And if there was that need, somebody would have already have done it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway, that's that's what started it. And then we got back to Boone, and uh, Franklin and I continued riding motorcycles together. And uh, Lowell 
told him that uh, if we would, uh, if he would start such an organization, that we were building, uh, putting a, a pitched roof on our office building because it we had a flat roof and it, it leaked every winter, and uh, that we would put some dormer windows mm-hmm. in the roof and let him have an office up there. So. Uh, he was still so undecided. One Sunday afternoon, we finished our motorcycle ride, and we came back by the office, pulled up to the to the yard, and I told Franklin it was time. That Sunday afternoon, he had to make that decision because hmm. he'd been going back and forth. And uh, that the next day, the contractor was either going to put a regular pitched roof or he would put dormer windows. And uh, if he want, Franklin wanted to start what ended up being World Medical Mission, then we needed to let the contractor know uh, today. And we climbed up on the roof, and there were a lot of two-by-fours up there. Franklin laid out the plans for the future. He laid Mm -hmm. out uh, plans for the office, uh, hallway, three secretarial rooms, even set up a boardroom. So that uh, we told the builder the next day to put dormer windows uh, in appropriate places, and that that started uh, World Medical Mission. Mm-hmm. And so World Medical Mission started here first, and that is why he brought Samaritan's Purse to Boone. Right. It's about I think it was about a year and a half later mm-hmm. that uh, Bob Pierce passed away, and Franklin was on the board of Samaritan's Purse. They were stationed in uh, California. Mm-hmm. So uh, one day Franklin said, you know, they wanted him to take it over. And uh, he thought he'd bring it to Boone. Mm -hmm. So he brought it to Boone. And over the ensuing several years, it kept expanding. Uh, We'll get into that in a minute as to why it Mm -hmm. expanded like it did. But And we had to add uh, more rooms upstairs uh, for Samaritan's Purse. And finally, it it outgrew all of that and Mm -hmm. uh, moved into the property we have here in Boone. So you mentioned a little bit, but can you tell us in the beginning, 1977, what was World Medical Mission's focus? Well, our focus started out just to send surgeons to help mission missionary doctors uh, in mission hospitals. And it wasn't long we realized, well, need family practitioners, mm-hmm. need all kinds of, any kind of doctor that'll go, there, there were places that they, they needed. So our focus was to help the missionaries on the field who were essentially everyone that we knew overworked. Mm -hmm. And uh, they either needed help or they needed time off. Uh, I remember going to Nepal. Mm -hmm. uh, Someone had called or written me about the the surgeon there was so overworked, they were afraid that he was going to have to come home. He was just, just so burned out. So I remember going there, and I was going to be there six weeks. And he started showing me we, we didn't even, couldn't even make, we so busy, didn't even make rounds some days on, on the patients. There were like two interns there that, that would see the patients. But the busiest I've ever been in my surgical hmm. career. And we would make ourselves go to bed at 12 and get up at 6. Hmm. And then you worked all day until that night. It was worse, the most I'd ever worked. And after being there a week, I realized, hey, he's not taking time off. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, and it aggravated me. I was worn out too. But I'll never forget sitting down on a patient's bed beside him, and I said, you either take your wife and you all take three weeks off, go somewhere, or I'm going back home. Hmm. I said, I came here to to relieve you. Hmm. He was forced into doing that. But that was our mission, was to help the doctors that are on the field. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's grown now to where we're, we get in that minute about our post-residency program. It, it's, it's even more than just going and helping uh, the doctors that are there now. Mm. So when you founded Rural Medical Mission, was there any part of it that made you nervous taking this leap of faith? Well, I guess the biggest part was uh, uh, getting it off of Lowell and my shoulders mm-hmm. on, the, on the Franklins. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, looking back, that was probably the most uh, tense part of it, of the whole organization, was we knew that the Lord would use Franklin and, uh, in, a, in a way that he couldn't use Lowell and me in organizing something like this. And uh, it was such a, a relief when Franklin said he would do that. Because we knew, we knew the need. Mm-hmm. Lowell and I knew the need, but we knew we couldn't meet that need. We needed somebody outside like Franklin that, that would do it. And uh, I guess the biggest relief, uh, you know, looking back, it's always good to look back and see the Lord's hand in what you're doing. And I'll never forget this was the the biggest, you know, you take any tension in the organization or any anything like that disappeared that third year. Franklin and I were at Tenwick Hospital, mm-hmm. uh, and we were, Ernie Sturry uh, was the doctor, he was the only doctor there, and he had a 40-bed back then, biggest mission hospital now today there is, mm-hmm. but back then it was 40-bed hospital, just one mm-hmm. wing, and he had three in a bed. Mm. I, I, I'll never forget it. We took took a picture of these uh, the patients with, with three in, in his little single bed. Wow. And uh, you see a head with a pair of feet on each side of the head. I mean, it was just unbelievable. But anyway, uh, Ernie was getting ready to. to he was a, he was typical of what World Medical Commission was all about. He needed to take a year furlough. He was burned out. Uh, he couldn't He couldn't take it anymore. And he was looking so forward. And at the end of the month, in three weeks, he was going to get his year furlough. But he looked like a little whip pup. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just, he, he had a letter that he held when he met us. And he said, uh, I'll never forget the look. Just so mm-hmm. much strain on his face. And he said, he got that letter the day before that his replacement for the mm-hmm. year couldn't come. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know what to do. And he asked Franklin, said, can World Medical Mission send a doctor a month to take my place where I can go ahead mm-hmm. and take my furlough? And uh, also he wanted, with three in a bed, he wanted to expand the hospital. So he wanted to bump it up to like a 90-bed hospital. Right. And that was going to cost $400,000. This was back in... 79, I guess it was. And uh, Franklin said, well, okay, Ernie, Samaritan's Purse will try to raise 300000 and you all raise 100000 
So he said, Frank, let's put it to prayer, and we'll now never forget standing mm-hmm. there in the grass on the mm-hmm. lawn. We put our arms around each other's shoulders, and Franklin prayed this, oh, just great prayer about, God, we're going to depend on you to send a doctor a month here to relieve Ernie, and we're going to depend on you to to raise the money for this needed hospital. Well, when he finished that prayer, old Ernie was so relaxed. Mm-hmm. He was smiling and patting us on the back and uh, you know when we flew back when we flew back to Nairobi I told Franklin I said you that prayer you prayed I said it sounded great but you gave Ernie a false sense Mm. of hope I said there's Becky Williams we sent seven doctors out last year and I said it takes months to get Mm -hmm. everything set up so we're not going to get 12 doctors to replace Ernie especially not starting in three weeks from now I said so that ain't going to happen and I said, and where do you think you're going to get uh, $300,000 mm-hmm. uh, to help build the hospital? And he said, well, I'll start going to churches and and uh, preaching on Sunday. And I said, yeah, you've done that. Uh, you get anywhere from 200 to $300 mm-hmm. is what they'll take up an offering. He said, the most you've ever gotten was 500 and uh, you're going to raise $300,000, and that ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we got back, and uh, there was a note at the hotel called Becky Williams, and she said that some doctor from Pennsylvania had called, Rick Niemeyer had called, and said he was taking his family on a vacation starting in three weeks, starting the next month, mm-hmm. and just wondered if maybe he was needed uh, overseas at a mission hospital. So... We called Ernie and said, "Keep packing. Hmm. We got, we got the, we got that set up." So uh, that, looking back, it made me realize, similar story with Samaritan's Purse, that God's hand was in it. It's, mm-hmm. It wasn't Franklin. It wasn't me or Lowell mm-hmm. or anybody we were trying to get to do things. But God was going to use us. And ever since then, Christy has just been, you know, it's been fun. Mm-hmm. It's been relief that okay I don't I don't have to do anything God's gonna gonna use us and uh, he'll tell us what to do but we don't have to make up things to to make it happen hmm. so I love hearing these stories so that we as the audience can be encouraged that if the Lord prompts you to do something to do it and be obedient because look at what that did yeah right so did you end up raising the money to supply him or the, the hospital well that's uh that's the Samaritan's Purse part that you realize when I realize that the Lord's hand is in this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not what we do. It's all Him. And Franklin came running down from his office upstairs, came running down one morning. He had that picture of three in a bed. He had three patients. Jim Baker at PTL, who got in trouble... Uh, later on, but he had asked Franklin three or four times to come down and be on the television show, and and we all we'd get together and say, you know, he's just trying to use your daddy's name, Billy Graham, and he's not really wanting you, but he's just wanting to use the name. And so Franklin had never gone down, but he came down. and said, "Hey, what do you th- what do y'all think about us me going down, showing this picture mm-hmm. of three in a bed?" And immediately, it's like. Like one of the one of those God moments, hey, that's a great idea. So Franklin goes down, and Jim Baker 
uh, when he shows Jim Baker that picture of these th uh, three in a bed, he stopped, he looked at the camera people and said, hey, put this picture on the screen and put Samaritan's Purse address mm. uh, uh, on, at the bottom of the picture. He's never, Jim Baker never had anybody make donations to another organization mm -hmm. except this. Mm -hmm. He said, and he pointed to the cameras, everybody watching, send one dollar mm. to Samaritan's Purse to get this hospital built. Well, uh, Franklin said he, on the way home, he stopped by Bojangles, got something to eat. He said he went out to get in his car, and this fellow came running out and said, hey, weren't you on PTL this morning? He said, yes. He said, well, here's my dollar. <laughs> So that was the first thing, you know, to realize, well, that that's unusual. Hmm. Well, about four days later, we get a call from the post office in Boone. Hey, you've got to come. you got you got to get a bigger mailbox. Hmm. you got to do something, but we've got mail all over the, and boxes on the floor down here come down. So that money came in within a week or two of $312,000. Wow. Franklin took a check back to PTL for 12000 so we didn't ask for wow. more than that. But the big thing about Samaritan's Purse that most people don't realize about that incident was that, yeah, we got the money without Franklin having to preach on Sunday, but we got the money, the $300,000. Uh, but what was exciting about it was that Bob Pierce's mailing list was around seven to 8,000 people. Mm-hmm. Well, Samaritan's Purse mailing list, because of all of those addresses that came in mm -hmm. with the donations, uh, raised it up to around 80,000. So when we started, when Franklin started sending out newsletters, instead of going to mm -hmm. 7,000 people, it went to 80,000 people. So that was, that's when you realize, hey, God, God's got his way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was when Samaritan's Purse took off. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, so rewarding to look back and see uh, the Lord's hand and what's going mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the three in a bed um, living in the United States. You know, it's just hard for us to imagine what healthcare looks like in developing countries. Can you paint a picture of some of the differences um, and challenges that you work in in remote hospitals? Yeah, and that's something else. Uh, when we started back in the late 70s, uh, I remember going to Capsuara Hospital on the edge of the Rift Valley the, uh, uh, there in Kenya and uh, walked in and the operating room light was an old headlight. It's one mm -hmm. of those chrome-plated, look mm -hmm. like a bullet headlight. And it was uh, hanging from the ceiling. And I, I asked them, I said, hey, do you know if that's on high beam or low beam? Mm -hmm. But you couldn't, you, you couldn't see in the abdomen very well. Uh, someone came in. I was the only doctor there uh, for that month. Uh, someone, a young boy, had fallen out of a tree, broke his arm. And uh, I said, well, we need to get an X-ray. And they said, well, the X-ray machine hasn't worked in over six weeks. So you had things like mm -hmm. that. But this is where Samaritan's Purse and Franklin have come in now the hospitals, we, we send them C-arms. Mm -hmm. We send them, everybody, the, the x-ray units are good. The, the operating rooms are, are up to date. The instruments, we, we send out uh, 50 or 60 containers to these. We, we, we supply about 45, maybe 50 
mission hospitals. And we, we send equipment, and we send uh, uh, people to work on equipment. And uh, so Samaritan's Purse has been a huge factor mm-hmm. in changing what your question to me could have been if it weren't for Samaritan's Purse. Mm-hmm. It'd still be, these hospitals would still be way outdated. Mm-hmm. And now they're, uh, they're, they have, have excellent equipment, and uh, so it's not the difference uh, that it used to be. Mm-hmm. And speaking to that, you've operated all over the world. Can you tell us a testimony of a time where you had to really rely on God's provision and providence, where you didn't have what you needed or you lacked something and He provided? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, one time uh, I was in Zambia. Uh, Dr. Jim Folks, who's on the World Medical Commission uh, Committee, uh, I was at his hospital, and there was a, a young boy, eight or ten years old, had a big abdominal mass, and it was so big his abdomen was protruding. Well, we didn't have the X-rays, or anything. We just opened him up to see what it was like, or I opened him up, and uh, this was a retroperitoneal cancer tumor, mm. and there was nothing you can do. I took a little piece of it just to send to the pathologist to see what kind of cancer it was so we could give chemotherapy. So after uh, after the operation, I found Dr. Folks, and I explained to him what we found, and I said, uh, where do I send this for pathology reading, and then where do we send him for chemo uh, therapy or radiation therapy? And he explained, said, well, they didn't have a pathologist that we could send that in, but it didn't really matter because we didn't there in Zambia there there was nowhere he could get radiation treatment or chemotherapy, and he said uh, there are some times when you just have to explain to the patient and the family about eternity hmm. and tell them about Jesus and and where the next step would be, and so that that was. Uh, uh, an eye opener for me is to realize that yes, the the patient's spiritual health is more important than their physical health, and uh, that's what from from then till now we've we've stressed that, and we're just starting uh, to get a chaplaincy program mm. going with WorldMed and uh, and Samaritan's Purse right now this past year to realize, hey, we've been overlooking this for years, how important the chaplains are for the spiritual health of these patients. And uh, it's almost like, you know, God forgive us hmm. for sending all these doctors, but we've, you know, we've helped the chaplains, but we need to focus mm-hmm. on getting them uh, well-trained and where they can take care of the spiritual health of patients just like that, that little boy that, that we hmm. operated on. And there was actually a, a training in February, correct? Was that the first one in Kenya? Can right. you tell us about that? Well, uh, Sissy Graham had gone with uh, two other doctors with, with me, with Lance uh, Plyler, and we, we were in, in Zambia. And we were discussing one night, I was telling her about how significant and important the spiritual health of these patients were. And uh, uh, over... Their, their physical health. And it 
we went to three different hospitals. Two of them had decreased their number of chaplains. One went from four to three, and one had had, had uh, three chaplains had gone down to two. So we just thought we need to help them uh, get chaplains, and, and they need to train them. And mm -hmm. so we started all of this, and I just happened to call Franklin from from uh, Zambia and was throwing this at him, and he said, well, why don't you have a chaplain's conference and we invite chaplains from all of our 45 hospitals? So uh, uh, we jumped on that and and got that set up, and within a year we just had our first uh, chaplain's conference, and we had... Uh, we had right at 100 chaplains, 10 wow. from Papua New Guinea, Bangladesh, all, all over Africa. Wow. Uh, but now we're, we're excited about realizing we need to make sure the hospitals have the chaplains, uh, help, help uh, fund chaplains, because that, you know, missionaries get the money from the states to go, but the chaplains have to be paid by the hospital. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're just realizing, hey, if the hospital run, starts running low on money, the, the chaplain may be the one they, mm -hmm. they uh, cut. So anyway, that's uh, an exciting part about where World Medical Mission is, is going here in the future. And you also touched about the post-residency program that's helping training and equipping doctors. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this program and why investing in the next generation of medical doctors is necessary. Yeah. Uh, that is really exciting to see the Lord's hand in that. And it started with uh, Kenny Isaacs uh, sitting in Kenny's office one day. And uh, Kenny has sends interns, uh, uh, in, like in the summer or, you know, college students go for three months, whatever. And, and uh, it was his idea. He said, what do, you, what do you think about if we send them uh, intern doctor for mm -hmm. a couple of years to see if they would be mm -hmm. uh, suitable for uh, for career missionaries. Well, Dr. Folks was the one that told us that these hosp some hospitals were closing. Mm -hmm. What's happening, doctors were retiring, but the sending agencies were not getting replacements. And uh, he said a hospital that has four doctors gets down to one, it's going to close or be turned over to the government or mm -hmm. turn into a clinic. And he'd seen a hospital near his old hospital do, do just that. So that, that sort of started it. And we thought about, okay, we'll, we'll start trying to get doctors right out of residency. What's been happening is they have a, uh, a debt mm -hmm. and even if they feel called for full-time career uh, mm -hmm. mission on, on the mission field, they weren't going because they, they would get out and they say, well, we'll work a couple of years and pay our debts off. And, and they, they just wouldn't, wouldn't get there. So the number of doctors, career doctors were decreasing and the, the sending agencies were not able to, to get replacements. So we started that and, uh, and, and it went well, but after a few, after a few years, we realized only about 20% were staying full-time. Bill Rhodes at Capsuar Hospital over there in Kenya, one night in his living room, he said, Dick, you realize your post-residency program is a failure, don't you? Hmm. And I said, no. 
He said, they're not staying. He said, we need career doctors, not two-year doctors. And we got home and, and started reviewing, and really only about 20% were staying. So we changed our uh, applications, and we changed our focus that, hey, God's calling us to keep these hospitals open, and we need career doctors, not two-year doctors. And uh, so uh, we, we changed our application, we changed our focus, and, and started asking the doctors, if you feel called mm -hmm. uh, for career work, Come now. Some are are called, but things happen you know, to the family or their children or something. They'd have to come back. So it's not, it's not that they're failures if they go right. and come back. But now we have eighty two percent are staying career wise. So that that's uh, that's been very exciting to see that, and we're getting ready. We have uh, twenty three doctors that we just met last week that we're going to call to come be interviewed and and we'll support them for two years but we tell them mm -hmm. uh, if they're accepted we tell them uh, we're supporting you for two years but we expect you to be on the field 32 years so you interviewed Aileen Coleman the other day yes. Aileen said put on your application that we're looking for missionaries who happen to be physicians <laughs> so that's uh, that's been the key but I think Christy, I think 10 years from now, probably 80% of the doctors on the field, career doctors, will be through this post-residency program because we mm -hmm. help them. We help them get started. We mm -hmm. get, we know where the need is. That's the one thing that World Medical Commission, if you go to a sending agency as a surgeon, well, they may, may or may not have a need for a surgeon in a particular hospital, may send you to another hospital, but we know where the needs are. So they come to us and say, okay, a family practitioner, here's here are two hospitals where the need's great. We give them two hospitals and tell them to pray it through and see where the Lord leads them. So that's that's an exciting part of what's happening at uh, World Medical Mission. Hmm. You touched on it with your story with the chemo treatment and, and how it changed your trajectory of needing spiritual help, mm -hmm. but can you tell another story of a time where a surgery or a, a a child or somebody that just sticks out in your mind where you saw healing take place? Yeah. Uh, I guess one that comes to mind is the last uh, thoracic case I did since I retired. I was at, uh, in Kenya at Caps War Hospital. Uh, it was at the end of the day. Uh, patient came in. They brought a patient in just barely alive. He'd been shot with an arrow hmm. through his left chest. And uh, they have over there, uh, you have arrows for invaders or someone that breaks in your house or something. That's what they use instead of a gun. And a lot of people put poison on the arrow tip. Mm. So this fellow, he wasn't, he wasn't a thief or anything, but they thought he was, and they shot him. And he pulled the arrow out of his chest. But the arrow tip stayed in. He was afraid it was poisonous. He was going to pull it out. Anyway, we uh, didn't even get an x-ray because I was afraid he was going to die right then. And opened up his chest. They didn't have the instruments to uh, to get the ribs apart. Oh, we had to use an OB retractor and had to mm -hmm. physically pull the ribs apart and then put that retractor in there and then pull some more and get it open. Mm -hmm. 
to where I could get my hands in there. And there was blood around in the pericardium, around the heart. So I figured, well, it's it's it must have gotten a little piece of the heart, opened that up, and it wasn't. It was just bleeding around it. Anyway, operated for several hours and finding that big error tip. And it was located right by the aorta and the vena cava, and we didn't have instruments to get to it. You couldn't see it. Had to do it all by feel. Anyway, got it out. And uh, he survived. And the next morning, on rounds, his brother was there. And his brother could speak English, the, the patient who was in his late 20s. He couldn't speak English. He asked, asked him if he, if he knew Jesus, if he had, been, had come to know the Lord. And so they talked a minute, and then he, he said, uh, my brother says yes, said Jesus saved him when he was 12, and then again last night. <laughs> so there, there are things like that uh, that you realize. That I, I felt like the, the Lord's hand was, was in saving him. Mm-hmm. Uh, another time at Bangladesh, they, they brought a, a, a government official's son in that had what's called a patent ductus arteriosus, which is a big, it's a little operation, but it's into the aorta and from the heart. And you have to have uh, special instruments, debakey vascular clamps. Mm. And they said that uh, if if he weren't operated on, he, he was going to he he wasn't going to make it. He wouldn't live another year. And I said, well, send him to India or have him done somewhere else. We don't we don't do that at this mission hospital. And they said, no, uh, there's no place in Bangladesh that that operation is done. I said, well, send him over to India. They said he's government. Uh, government family, they can't leave the country. Mm-hmm. Said you either do it, or he isn't going to live. Wow. And I said, well, the only way you could do this is if you had two straight debakey vascular clamps. And I said, I know you don't have those. And one of the nurses said, well, there's a box of instruments that someone sent that we've never hmm. used. And she went back in the closet and all, and she came out, and they were two uh, debakey vascular wow. straight clamps. So. We did that, mm-hmm. and uh, it went, went very well. But there are things like that that you realize that mm-hmm. it's different from, from here. Uh, there are times that you'll either operate on a patient or they won't make it. You can't send them to Duke or Mayo or mm-hmm. whatever, but it's, it's up to you. But uh, you, you see the Lord's hand in a lot of things overseas that you mm-hmm. may not see here. Mm-hmm. That... that that along with um, you know, tes- Jesus' testimony and times like that probably help you cling when you get tired and weary. But also, I'm, I know you're a man of, that reads wor- the Word every day. Can you sk- share some scripture that has carried you through some tough times? Or There, I think, two verses. One verse we tell, uh, I, I tell the post-residents before they go that, that God will direct their, their steps, that... Uh, just to look to Him. They're going to have some tough times. And also, I, I have to remind myself of that. Mm-hmm. When I when I go to a mission hospital or go overseas and, and it's not going out as I'd planned, mm-hmm. and that's uh, Proverbs 16.9 says, In his heart a man makes his plans, mm-hmm. but the Lord directs his steps. And I think just like the story I told you about Ernie Sturry and, and Tenwick, uh, Frank and I had 
plans in Lowell. We had different plans mm-hmm. how to do World Medical Mission, which re- our plans were ridiculous. But the Lord directed our steps. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's one of my, my favorites, that uh, to have your steps directed, you got to be moving. Mm-hmm. These post-residents, they have to be, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go to this hospital and see what the Lord, how he directs their steps. Mm-hmm. Same with short-term doctors. Okay, uh, you may plan to go to Africa, but the Lord may lead you to Bangladesh or Papua New Guinea or some some other place. But you have to be moving mm-hmm. if He's going to direct your steps. Mm-hmm. So that that's one. Another looking back that has really become sort of a steadfast verse for World Medical Mission. That you know you go you go to Haiti. And you come back, you know, from the earthquake, you've, I mean, there you've literally saved people's lives or you've done so many things. And you come back and they pat you on the back or they mm-hmm. they brag about, oh, this doctor did this or that. Uh, but you realize, or people will say, oh, you're a co-founder of World Medical Mission. You know, they make it sound so great and all, and you realize, hey, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. That, that, uh Psalm one fifteen one, uh, where where says, not to us, O Lord, mm-hmm. not to us, but to your name goes all the glory, mm-hmm. and that just you know that sinks in that it's almost laughable when somebody tries to compliment you on mm-hmm. what you've done or how the Lord used you. But that's that's the that's the main thing is that hey, let the Lord use you, and it's all for His glory. And uh, hey, forget any pats on the back or congratulations or look what's happening. Uh, that's uh, that becomes mm-hmm. completely immaterial. But that's uh, that's a great verse, Psalm one fifteen mm-hmm. one. Not to us, O Lord, mm-hmm. not to us, but to Your name goes all the glory. Mm-hmm. So I love you. Truly are so humble. I think of John the Baptist when he said, "He must increase, I must decrease," and mm. you truly do live that out. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I just have to ask, you've you've traveled with Bono and Franklin and you, Sissy and you know all of the Grams, but who's your favorite travel companion besides Harriet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going. I was going to say Harriet. I don't know. Uh, every trip we go on with whoever's traveling, we have a great mm. a great time. It's uh, and I think it's because everybody's like minded mm-hmm. and. Uh, I mean, you look back, Senator Frist mm-hmm. went uh, 12 times every year. He and I would go to a to Mission Hospital every year that he was a senator. Mm. Traveling with Franklin's unbelievable. Uh, with, uh, well, uh, with uh, Kenny or, or Lance or Ed, I mean, they're, they're, they're all, all great trips. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's all good. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And um, as we close, we we always share a prayer request for the the audience to be partnering with. Um, can you give us something to specifically pray for World Medical Mission this week? Yeah, yeah. we had, we met uh, two days ago, going over applications hmm. for our post residency program. And normally, we 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 grade them from zero to ten, ten being the best. And there's some that you read that, hey, they're just, uh, they won't make it on the field or mm-hmm. we didn't feel like that we were the 
the organization that they ought to go through or something like that. Anyway, they get the zeros. There's some that get, uh, you know, two, two to four or four to six, some tens. And uh, we had, I think we had 25 applicants this year. We'd have anywhere from 12 to 25. Oh. This was a big year. But what I'd like for people to pray about are where these young doctors, where the Lord's leading them, hmm. where they're directing, where he's directing their steps. And Christy, out of all the years with uh, the post-residency program, I've never, ever seen applicants like this. Hmm. Uh, we had my, my grades, I could read through it. Here's a 10. Here's another 10. Hmm. Here's a 9. Here's a 10 plus. Wow. And occasionally I would do a 10 plus where, you know, you, you really know that the Lord's calling them. They're, they're great. But I had, I had several 10 plus, 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 and I had one 10 plus, 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 plus. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, this group, I, it's just unbelievable. And I just pray that we would know who to send, where to, where to send them but mainly for their future, for their next next 32 years, mm -hmm. that the Lord would, would use them on the field. Because this is, a, this is an unbelievable group. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, five years now, ten years from now, it'd be, it'd be nice to look back and remember this group, that uh, the Lord's directing their steps in exactly where He wants them. Mm -hmm. So I'd keep that to prayer. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing all your stories. I think now we all know how to pray a little bit better for World Medical Mission and for the doctors overseas. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. And thank you, uh, listeners, be praying for World Medical Mission. And as he said, as they're um, looking over the post-residency program and, and the future doctors of this organization, be praying. We thank you again for joining us. Mm -hmm.